I still remember a scene from my childhood that could have fit nicely in a Flannery O'Connor short story. I was seven years old and my father had died. We were at Thompson's Funeral Home. Remember funeral homes? It was a small, cramped, wood frame building. I remember wondering, why on earth would they call this a home? Who would want to be there as a home? We were holding a night visitation, a vigil of gathered loved ones the night before the funeral. It was one of those, well, you non-cradle Episcopalians will know what I, I'm talking about it, but it was one of those open coffin situations where everyone takes turns viewing the body. And then they come around to the family to tell you how natural <laughs> the dead person looks. I'm sorry, they're dead. Almost everyone had gone up to view the body except for my brother and me. It was sort of like one of those altar call scenes. You know, like, isn't there just one more? I was hoping that if we waited long enough that everyone would forget that we had not gone forward. Finally, someone told us that we needed to go on. You know, one of my helpful aunts or uncle, I suppose. So my mom took each of us by the hand and we went up to the casket. I can remember some quiet talking in the back of the room. Someone humming a hymn near the front and then someone else, probably one of my Pentecostal relatives praying softly, quietly speaking in tongues. Mom took his cold, embalmed hand and placed it into ours. And she said, boys, you need to say goodbye to your father because we will have to wait a very long time before we see him again. And so we said goodbye. And the real vigil began. Joseph of Arimathea waited until dark before he retrieved the body of Jesus. He wrapped the body in a linen sheet, placed it in his own tomb, and covered it with a stone. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome, were there. Of course they were there. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. They witnessed it all. 
It wasn't just witnessed by the men. They saw it all. But the difference is they were the ones who did not run away. They stayed until the very end. They were there grieving, saying goodbye, trying to understand what had happened to their shattered dream, to their friend, to their hope. Maybe they were there to begin their waiting, waiting in vigil until the Sabbath was over when they could make one last expression of their love by caring for what was left of Jesus, their Messiah. Most of us are not very good about waiting. And yet, all of us are waiting, right? Waiting for opportunities, waiting for graduation, waiting for the next good job, or maybe waiting for retirement, waiting for justice, waiting for a cure for an illness or for resolution where there is conflict, waiting for forgiveness or perhaps for the grace to forgive someone else or waiting for a loved one to die or waiting for resurrection in our own lives. We all wait. Many in this congregation have been waiting all week. They began Palm Sunday when they immersed themselves in the Passion story. And they continued through Eucharist on Monday and Eucharist on Wednesday, to Maundy Thursday, to Good Friday and Holy Saturday this morning until tonight. They fully entered into that experience of waiting. They should have probably been allowed to come late to this service. <laughs> Mary and the other women had prepared spices as they're waiting to anoint Jesus' body. It's dawn, the Sabbath is complete, and they're going to the tomb. They're anxious. They're anxious about the stone. What are we going to do about the stone? Who's going to move that big stone? So often we know what we need to do. But we get anxious and are tempted to throw up our hands because there's a big stone in the way. But they arrive, and lo and behold, the stone is gone. It was rolled away from the cave, and the cave is empty, except for a young man who says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. 
He has been raised and he's not here. And the women realizing that the unimaginable, the impossible, the utterly fantastic has happened, they're seized with terror and amazement because they realize that death itself has been defeated. Come on, Father Dennis. Do you really believe that? Well, yes, I do. It is a reality that I set my heart toward. Do I know it absolutely? Of course not. To know it absolutely, well, you have to die. And I'm not in that big of a hurry to know it to that level. But let me tell you something. For the last 30 years, I've buried or helped bury more people than I can even count. And almost without exception, I prayed the first collect offered in the burial rite of the Book of Common Prayer. I prayed it one more time this week when we buried my mom. And at some point, you know, somebody will pray it over me. Oh God, who by the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light, grant that your servant, Dennis, being raised with him, may know the strength of his presence and rejoice in his eternal glory, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. And then, I hope that someone will say to my loved ones standing there who remain before they go back to the house and get into the chicken salad. <laughs> I hope somebody will be there who'll say to them, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus. And he has defeated death. And he has been raised. Amen.